This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. Scripture is holy. It is sanctified, set apart from any and all other writings that we have ever had and will ever exist. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. If you have no desire to know who God is, then can you even be sure that he knows you? The gates of hell itself, or the coronavirus itself, will not stand against Jesus building his church. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who knows the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? This is Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. I'm Drew, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris. We are a podcast production that seeks to approach church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We are on Patreon, so if you would like to partner with us, head on over to patreon.com slash theology and become a subscriber. And we have a brand new Patreon subscriber. We want to shout out Chelsea Sharp. Uh, thank you for subscribing and partnering with us. Your donations go a long way. We are also members of the Christian Podcast community. So if you would like more Christian podcasts, go check out their catalog over at strivingforeternity.org. Also, we hope that you plan on attending the Cruciform Conference on Holiness, October 23rd through the 24th in Indianapolis, Indiana. We also have a pre-conference on abortion featuring Anthony Mathenia. We, Matter of Theology, will also be doing a recording at the pre-conference, and I can't tell you who our special guest is, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, I, I mean, I, Chris, I want to say, but I can't. Didn't you just say it? No, I said, I said, man, I said he was going to be speaking at the pre-conference. Oh, okay. Not, not going to be our guest, man. Don't, don't ruin stuff. Sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> But speakers at the conference include Justin Peters, Anthony Mathenia, Gabe Hughes, and Jeffrey Johnson. Uh, and that's only a few. Uh, there's going to be many more. Tickets are available at cruciformministries.org. But on today's episode, we are going to be talking about pastoring through the pandemic and riots. This is an unusual time that we're in. We have a virus with a 99.92% recovery rate. Yet churches are being closed, and the justification for this is, quote-unquote, loving your neighbor. While at the same time, protests and riots are allowed to take place, and mind you, without social distancing. But in all this mess of twisting scripture and governmental overreach, how should the pastor respond? After all, most of the country has been shut down for a time. People have lost their jobs. They've lost their homes. The suicide rate has increased because of the added stress and anxiety that has overcome people. Uh, 
So to talk about pastoring through the pandemic and the riots, caring for the body of Christ in this time, we brought on special guest, Dr. Tom Buck, the pastor of First Baptist Church, Lindale, Texas, to talk us through some of these things. So Pastor Buck, thank you for joining us. Uh, welcome to Matter of Theology. And how are you doing, man? Great. Good to be with you guys. I appreciate you asking me to come on. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to talk about these important topics. This is a difficult season to pastor. It's always being a pastor is always a difficult thing, but uh, we're facing challenges now like uh, we never have. That's right. That's right. I mean, people don't really think about what it means, first of all, just to pastor in general. They think mm -hmm. it's just, you know, getting behind the pulpit and preaching, but it goes so far beyond that. But even taking that into this time of pandemic, shutdown, riots, protests, uh, mm -hmm. all the... All, all the, the social ideologies that are creeping into the church uh, and infecting the body, we have to be able, or pastors have to be able to navigate through all that to care for those in their congregation. Yeah, we have to be shepherding our people, and that uh, is an important aspect of being a pastor. Uh, you have to be aware of the things that either are in, uh, affecting your people presently, or have the potential of, you know, affecting them. Right. And that's, that's a heavy load that, that you carry to know that you have uh, a large group of people that you're going to answer to God for and how you uh, shepherd them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Pastor Buck, that, that, that reminds me of, uh, you know, James uh, and I was reading through first Timothy uh, earlier today and, First uh, Timothy three one it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to mm -hmm. do, um, but but a work he will be held responsible for nonetheless. And um, uh, you know, and, and and this is something that uh, you know you and I have interacted on Twitter a good bit, and um, uh, through 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 just kind of uh, different things that we have seen um, uh, as as uh, this year progresses. Uh, with different networks and and uh, uh, the, the the challenges that that we have faced, and so um, if you don't mind, I mean, how how are you guys? How have you guys approached the the whole uh, meeting and gathering together uh, throughout the, the the pandemic that we're that yeah. we're experiencing now? Well, I mean, we're somewhat blessed being in Texas because our governor has been very uh, gracious with us. Yes, sir. And so even early on. Uh, he's made it clear that he can't overstep his bounds, that he doesn't have the constitutional right to uh, interfere with the free exercise of religion. Mm -hmm. He's right. That's right. And so we're thankful for that. Now, early on, we, um, we did not meet for a period of time. And um, I, I, I tried to approach this not from a Romans 13 aspect. I think that's one of the mistakes that's being made in how this is being talked about. Um, because the government does not have the right to prohibit the free or to interfere with the free exercise of religion. That's just straightforward and clear. No governor has power higher than the Constitution of the United States. Amen. Yeah. So we approached it, uh, and I think early on I might have, I probably learned and grew in that just a little bit, but very quickly in how I talked about it. Because very, uh, I moved very quickly to begin saying this is really a, we need to approach this as a First Timothy two type of thing, where right. that 
Uh, we're to pray for the leaders over us. We're to seek to live quiet and peaceable lives. And so there was, we believed, good reason to, um, we did online for four weeks. And then I'd had all I could take of that. And then we went, I'm like, we've got to do something else. This is not good for our people. So I certainly don't understand churches that haven't met at all or only done done online because it's not the, it's not the gathering and we, and we communicate that to our people. Yeah. So there's, we've had, cause Chris and I live, live in Georgia and there was a big famous pastor here. Well, I, I use that term loosely, uh, here in Georgia that has said, the Bible doesn't command Christians to gather. How important is it for the body to actually gather together corporately? Someone, someone actually said that. Oh yeah, yes, sir. Andy Stanley. Yeah. Andy that's, Stanley. What, that's what I was thinking. It probably was. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, I mean, maybe his Bible doesn't cause he's got a lot of things. His Bible doesn't have in it. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, a correct understanding of, homosexuality doesn't seem to be in his Bible either, but that's another topic for another day. I mean, Hebrews chapter 10 makes it very clear, not forsaking our assembling together. How about the very meaning of the word church, uh, which, which is the gathering. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I I have been extremely sad, not by Andy doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What surprised me is other groups that have capitulated on this. Right. So we, we began meeting in our parking lot. And so uh, we met there for six weeks um, and then we moved indoors. Uh, We could have moved in sooner, but um, because the governor would have allowed us to do that, Mm -hmm. but we decided to, you know, have a little bit of caution because we could at least gather in the parking lot. It wasn't, you know, the best, but uh, people got out of their cars and interacted with each other and, and uh, it was the best that we could do in that situation. But then we eventually just moved inside. Okay. We've been inside since the end of May. Wow. That, that, that sounds incredibly familiar. It's, uh, you know, people getting out of their cars and interacting and because they're, they're, they're seeing, uh, you know, the fact that, that when, we, when, when this first happened, this pandemic hit the first part of this year, we were told millions were going to die. Right. And, you know, so, so out of concern and love for neighbor, you know, we, 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 we changed the way that we, uh, spread the gospel, uh, share the gospel using online methods and, uh, to keep the message of the gospel, you know, flowing and out there and the word in front of people. But, um, you know, but then what you just said kind of sounds like what Dr. MacArthur experienced at grace where people just started showing up. People just started coming back. Uh, you know, people are gathering there in your parking lot at, at first Baptist Lindale and, um, you know, hey, we're going to get out. We're going to interact. We're going to fellowship. We're going to uh, we're, we're going to enjoy the gathering. And you know, to your point too, I think I think to to First Corinthians uh, eleven and twelve, gather together when talking about right. the Lord's Supper, the command to gather. Um, you know, I, I just I, I agree with you. I don't understand um, where the disconnect is uh, for for certain pastors and leaders uh, when, when it comes to this topic. Well, many of them didn't have a biblical ecclesiology to begin with. True. So again, what's surprising me is those who do have a biblical ecclesiology and how they've responded to this. Um, Again, uh, as you've alluded to, um, the threat 
of which they described at the beginning has nowhere even close um, come to fruition. Praise God that it hasn't. Amen. Yes, sir. Um, you know, they, you know, they probably would say, well, it's the precautions that were taken and et cetera, et cetera. Nobody can really prove or disprove that. But the reality is you look at MacArthur's church, uh, there's been, as far as I knew of last week, zero cases. Correct. Yes. That have broken out in that church. And, um, you know, our church has been meeting since May. Uh, We have zero cases that have broken out in our church. We've had a few people that have contracted COVID from from other places where they've Mm -hmm. been traveling or something of that nature. But we've not had any outbreak at our church. I know many other churches that are meeting in various places uh, that don't talk about it on social media. They're just meeting. Right. And they've not had any cases. So, you know, you keep hearing about the one or two churches that had an outbreak. Uh, and that's just not, not been the case. And it, and if our community was um, having a massive outbreak in it, we would have enough sense to not meet. We don't need the right. government to tell us. Right. Uh, you know, this is for crying out loud, you know, nobody's going to get meet together right. if they know that's the case. And, and we said, we're going to, we're going to judge based on where we live. So, you know, someone might say, well, if you, if you knew that there was a tornado touching down, you cancel church. And I'm like, yeah, if a tornado is touching down in Lindale, but not if it's touching down in Austin, Texas. Exactly. So uh, we're going to, we've canceled church for, for, for bad storms. I don't think on a Sunday before. Um, But I remember one time when we were in the middle of a service and, there was tornado weather. The power went out, and I kept preaching. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand what's happened to us uh, that we have allowed ourselves to allow Caesar to drive our ecclesiology. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, and and like I I, I think back to um, uh, Colossians and Colossians three in particular when when Paul uh, in verse sixteen let the word of Christ dwell in you dwell richly within you. Uh, with all his wisdom, uh, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And and I think about as a believer, like you should long, like th- th- there should be a longing in you to want to gather physically together um, with your local body. Um, I, I mean, th- th- there, there should be something missing uh, in your life, uh, if that's the case, and especially if you're a pastor. Um, I, I don't I, I don't get that that mentality of well we can just have online church well then you're not having church there's no such thing as an online church um, the, the scripture is clear uh, ecclesia is is a physical gathering together um, you, you can't do online church and of course there there are exceptions to people who uh, physically because of illness can't cannot gather um, you know. Uh, but yeah, we call that being providentially hindered by God in our exactly. in our church covenant. Yeah, and at that point in time, they have no other choice. The truth is, we have a choice right now. That's right. That's uh, right. We have a choice to stay at home. For most people, there are some that may feel, and we've given freedom in that. That if there are those that feel they have a medical condition that makes them particularly susceptible, uh, that that's a conscience issue. Mm-hmm. But if just because you're afraid of potentially getting sick is not a reason to not come to church or you won't come during the entire flu season, um, Mm -hmm. if that's the case. Let me point out one other thing. I think that I pointed this out today on Twitter. 
And if you go to Hebrews 10, I think this is interesting, where it talks about not forsaking our own assembly together, that uh, the author of Hebrews actually connects the gathering of the saints together as a means of sanctification. Correct. Notice it says there, verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now look at this. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but the terrifying expectation of judgment. So one of the things that the gathering does is it brings us together with other believers to help sanctify us. And it's actually a means of grace that God's given us. Yes, sir. To keep us from continuing in our persistence in sin. Mm. This is why that the... Um, uh, the Puritan pastor said, uh, or pastors, it was a common saying, a phrase, if, a phraseology, if you will, that the first sign of sinning is that there's a stop in attending, if you will. So when people stop coming to the Lord's house to worship, it's a sign that there's spiritual trouble in their life. There's a sign that they've spiritually drifted. And I think that it comes right from this Hebrews passage. So I would say that we're putting our people in spiritual danger yeah. by oh. not, not gathering together because we're taking away from them a means of grace, if you will, mm -hmm. that God has given to help in their sanctification. God forbid that we would do that. And why guys like J.D. Greer, uh, yeah. who knows better, uh, would say, well, we're not going to open up till 2021. Oh. I mean, what's happening to his sheep? He doesn't know. Right. Then that, that that's the problem. He's not fulfilling his command as a shepherd. Uh, at, at that point, you're you're not. Uh, I mean, ha have some courage. Have some courage. Look, I mean, open your eyes. Don't don't capitulate to the culture. Don't capitulate to Caesar. You have a responsibility to shepherd the flock of God among you. the The ministry that you've been given is a mercy of God. Protect them. Gather them together so you can protect them. Yeah. And guys are saying, I heard a pastor today say, well, we're meeting outside. Well, there's something coming. It's called winter. <laughs> Comes you know, every year. Gonna, you know, something's got to be done because uh, there's some places that it's not going to be very long at all that they're not going to be able to meet outdoors. Right. And so they're going to, are they going to, I don't see this ending anytime soon. You know, we all say the election, but that's no guarantee. Yeah. Um this thing could just continue to go on, and I don't have any hope uh, at this point in a vaccine either. But no. well, you know, coming yeah. anytime soon. But we'll see. Yeah. Pray for it. But yeah, if it came, I wouldn't trust it. Yeah, <laughs> not <laughs> no, at this stage. I would not at this no, stage. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you know what's coming? Uh, you know, if wearing a mask is loving your neighbor, mm -hmm. oh, then yeah. getting the oh, vaccine is yeah. yeah. going to be far more loving your neighbor right. than than a mask. That's right. Yeah, uh, I talked about this on uh, on Facebook. What Chris, maybe a month ago or so. Yeah, yeah. Where I where I related it to kind of uh, Nazi Germany, where the Jews had to wear a Star of David, and the mask is going to end up being uh, something that identifies you as who to serve, who who you can serve in your establishment, and who you can't. Leading up to the the idea of a vaccination card. Well, now you have to display your card. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, and that's. If we continue in this logical uh, reasoning, that's that, that's what's waiting at the end. Yeah, if the death rate was as high as they said it would be, maybe I could 
understand that. I still wouldn't sure, like it. Sure, probably sure. wouldn't agree with it, but at least it would be somewhat understandable. Mm-hmm. So I think we come to the point where that we now know that governments are not acting in good faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whatever they're doing, uh, it's not good faith. Mm-hmm. They might be just stupid. They can't do the math. Mm-hmm. That could be true or it could be power or whatever, but it really doesn't matter what their motivation is. Correct. Correct. What matters is, is that we're, we're, we're big boys. The elders of any church should be able after six months of this, six months ought to be able to sit and assess mm-hmm. and make a good informed decision of whether they should open their church doors or not, and then give freedom to people that want to come and be gracious with those and patient with those and shepherd those and disciple those who don't either because of fear for some and others could be for, you know, just legitimate wise decisions. If somebody is, you know, we've got some folks in our church, they're 94 years old and uh, and they're not mid nineties and they have health issues and like, I'm just not going to risk that. They're not going anywhere. Sure. 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 Yeah. And, and, you know, I know we kind of offline, we, we were joking about this is not the time for uh, vacations and sabbaticals. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to me also just with everything that's going on right now to, to hear stories of uh, pastors and shepherds taking three, two and three vacations and, and then a three week sabbatical uh, right now um, yeah. in, in the midst of this after, after not gathering for months on end uh, and, and also you know, just being honest, I mean, the, the place that I heard this from was a church that took the PPP loan. And, and mm-hmm. it just makes me go, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you a pastor? If, if, if that's how you're going to respond to all of this, why get another job? Yeah, since, um, since the pandemic began, the only time that I've left town, um, I went one my wife well, you were and I out of town to, when it hit, right? You were, you were, yeah, I was, I, yeah, I was in Scotland. I yeah. was in Scotland at the time. Um, but my, my father passed away. And so we went up to Tennessee for a funeral. And then my wife and I went for two days to a bed and breakfast, uh, just to have an overnight thing. Yeah. Um, and that, but other than that, I haven't been out of the pulpit or out of, um, mm. uh, the area. Um, in fact, that we did one vacation with our kids. We did a staycation because I said, Hey, I've got to stay sure. here. Mm-hmm. I've got to be here to preach on Sundays. So I've, I've got to minister to my flock during this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And we would say this is because the media is blowing everything out of proportion, right? It, it, it usually uh, like, like usual, and, and we can call it a scare tactic. Um, but it has an effect on people, even people within the church. So the pastor is necessary because he is going to be the mouthpiece for hope. Right. He's, he's the mouthpiece for God's word right. that, that expels the hope and comfort that comes from God's word, that he is the sovereign, he is in control. Turn your eyes upon Christ. I lived in Florida. And I feel like this has been six months of one big hurricane. Yeah, because that's a good way it, to say it. All that they do constantly on the news, because their job is to keep you watching. Right. That's their job. Yeah. It, it's They're selling you something. And by selling you something, that's how they get their, you know, make their money by you watching. Right. That's right. right. And so when a hurricane's coming, it's all they talk about. 
as it's coming. It's all they talk about, you know, what's going on, then the aftermath, even if it's a, you know, ends up being next to nothing. But that's that's what we've been in, this just this constant cycle. Let me say one other thing about this regarding what we think about uh, how the church has been leading in this. And I brought this point out as well, that for the last, you know, 40 years, you know, whatever, when we think about, um, I don't know how long uh, Piper's been doing the mission, you know, when the, you know what I'm talking about, been doing the missions conferences, yeah, yeah. telling the young people that, hey, you need to be willing to risk your lives to go anywhere around where around the world to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now we're telling them don't risk your life to get to to come to church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've done ourselves a great injustice um, because I was listening to um, um, a message the other day by by David Platt, and it was he was talking about we need to be ri- willing to risk anything, willing to risk anything, willing to risk everything, going on and on and on. And then I thought, except if it's a virus that has a uh, that has a ninety nine point eight percent survival rate, right. uh, that we're not going to risk. I, I, it just does not mesh with everything that else that we teach. Right. I think it's exposing that we don't really believe everything that we claim we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Drew. Before you jump in there, Chris, you, you know, in talking about David Platt and, and other pastors like Platt that say those things, but then they're they're out leading marches and protests. Complete contradiction. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, Jonathan Lehman did that as well. Yes. Sir. And when I had an interaction with Jonathan Lehman online about it, uh, we're like, why are you marching and not meeting? And his answer was that the mayor is not allowing us to meet for church, but is allowing us to meet to march and protest. And so it's on the mayor, not him, for doing that. So he's, he argued that if the, if the government tells you you cannot do X, or they tell you they give a, something you should not do, but they allow you to do, not do that with X, but, but they allow you to do it with Y, then you're still obligated to obey X, but it's on them for the issue of obeying Y. I mean, I I don't get that. His whole argument was, you know, essentially that I have to obey the government to not meet because they tell me I can't meet. But if they allow me to march, even though it's contradictory, then I can still do that. Uh, I look at that and say, that's a, a governmental leader that's not acting in good faith. Right. And if they're not acting in good faith, and they're going to violate their own orders for what they consider to be uh, important enough to gather, then I can look at my church and say, we're going to gather together and we're going to worship God because the Bible commands us to. That's right. And the government does not have the right, neither biblically nor constitutionally, yes, sir. to, to uh, interfere with the free, free exercise of religion. Yep. And let me say yeah. one more thing about that, because yes, there's a lot of people don't understand this. The First Amendment because I hear this, people say, you're just arguing for your rights. No, I'm not. The First Amendment does not give me the right to worship. The First Amendment is called a, what's called a negative right, if you will. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it recognizes that there is an inherent right, an innate right, an inalienable right uh, for, so, uh, to practice religion. Therefore, the First Amendment prohibits the government That's right. from impeding upon that. 
So James Madison actually wrote about this very thing. And he said, the reason the first amendment was necessary was not because we need a right to worship, but because we have the duty to worship that we owe our creator worship. Therefore the government has to be prohibited from in any way infringing upon that duty that we have. Right. And if, uh, uh, if if I'm remembering history correctly, uh, the statement from Thomas Jefferson about uh, the wall, the separation between church and state, that there was in Danbury, Connecticut, that there was a Baptist church that was looking to be shut down by the state church, and Thomas and they were writing to Tom, Thomas Jefferson for help, and Thomas wrote back and said, "You don't need to fear." Because there's a wall set up between state and church where the state, the government, cannot impede on your right to gather. That's exactly right. And and there's nothing that gives them the constitutional ability to do that. Not a pandemic, nothing. Uh, They have no right to to do that whatsoever. And we've granted them that right uh, in the way we're talking about it. Now, again, I go back to the first Timothy two argument. I think that if our governor asked us to, to be willing to not meet during this time, and I can't order you to do this, but uh, I, I'm asking that you do that. I Listen, I was more than willing to comply to that because they're the potential threat. And God forbid, had we got together and met and a whole bunch of our people would have become right. infected mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I'm saying sensible people are going to make that decision. Right. Yeah, the uh, Georgia governor said the same thing. He said, "I can't stop you from meeting, but I would, I, I would, you know, tell you to use caution uh, in meeting, be, just because I can't mandate that you not meet." So he did right. here in Georgia. They he, did the same thing. Yeah, well, he's yep. exactly right. Yep. Well, and I think uh, Tom, going back to something you said a few minutes ago, um, you know, it, it's we've been told for so long and I've heard Platt say this as well. He's a big missions guy about, about get sacrificing your life and giving your life for this. And uh, it makes me think of Luke 14, you know, um, de- denying yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Um, and, 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 you know, going back to, to what we're seeing with guys like Platt and Jonathan Lehman and nine marks. And um, you know, I, I think back to, to something Nate Pickowitz uh, put on Twitter today. He said, quote, uh, I doubt that anyone is arguing that 2020 has been being a difficult year, but we need to start seeing this year as a kindness of God. How so? He's knocking out all man-made supports and dethroning idols until we see that all we truly have is Christ and that he is enough, period, close quote. Yep, absolutely. So so kind of kind of uh, shifting gears from pandemic to um you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, um, I, I recently watched uh, By What Standard again um, and uh, uh, loved, um, man, the courage that, that you and uh, Dr. Askell had there uh, at the SBC conference in, in 2019 uh, to, to, to try to stop Resolution 9 from passing um, when it comes to critical race theory being an, an analytical tool. Uh, that was that, that hasn't like worked out very well. Nope. Um, but no. Yeah. Yeah. So something I, I, I wanted to talk about because, you know, something that um, that I'm seeing here locally is I'm I'm seeing um, pastors and church leaders. Uh, I mean, of course, unlike Dr. Bice, uh, who is, has tackled this thing head on. And there are there are others as well who have been faithful to, again, protect their flock. 
when it comes to dealing with issues of uh, critical race theory intersectionality. Um, but, but one of the things I'm hearing is, you know, either not addressing it uh, or just saying, hey, all this black and white dumb stuff and then just leaving it at that for fear of wanting to offend uh, anyone. Um, so I just wanted to kind of kind of see what, uh, you know, get your thoughts on that. I mean, how should a pastor um, uh, tackle this and, and equip their flock um, and, and because it's everywhere. It's, it's all over social media, the news. Along, with, with the pandemic, you also have everything that's going on with race relations in our country and in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard, hard topic because, you know, I've been trying to navigate those waters here as well. Sure. sure. And, you know, we, I was having lunch with a guy today. Um, he, had, he had never heard of critical race theory. Uh, first he heard of it was when President Trump, uh, you know, gave the executive order the other day saying that it can't be used anymore in, in training in, in government agencies. Right. Um, and so, you know, I had a conversation with him and, you know, explained to him what critical race theory essentially was and that it was also, you know, infecting evangelical circles in the Southern Baptist Convention, which he was absolutely shocked that that would be the case. But I think that we're going to have to have lots of conversations with our people, pay attention to their, their social media accounts. Uh, what are they pumping out there? Um, and we did do a, uh, an event where we had Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker uh, uh, have an evening with our folks where we talked about these issues and kind of did a primer uh, on, on social justice issues to kind of help people understand. So, um, you know, I think that we want to, as much as we can, be careful not to, you know, constantly be talking about it from our pulpits because sure. Sure. Yes. a lot of people may not, they may not know what's going on. They need to be informed. Mm -hmm. But I think it's going to take a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations or smaller group conversations to help people understand what's going on and then be willing to have the tough conversations when you see people in your church who are getting sucked into this way of thinking. Mm. Um, uh, so I, I, I met with a guy yesterday who said, you know, uh, he's in a church up in another state. He said his pastor is getting uh, constantly pushing this stuff from the pulpit. Mm. What do I do? Um, it, it, there's not a week that goes by that I don't have a conversation with someone um, that is being affected by this in the church. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's a good call uh, as far as not, you know, being careful how you address it and the frequency to which you address it from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I like what you guys did. Um, I, I remember seeing, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, conversation, you know, that you guys had with Daryl and Burge and, uh, and how, how well that went, uh, some of the feedback um, that, that they were talking about that they received. So I think that's a good idea to have, you know, have, have like a Sunday night uh, kind of deal to where you... Uh, address it, may have a Q&A, something like that, um, you know, to where you have conversations around that. Um, and I guess, it, I mean, it kind of comes back to that whole, the, the whole thing of protecting your flock. Right. Um, and, and, and just like you said, I mean, it's, you, you have to be aware, uh, watching social media, um, I mean, invested in the lives of the people in your church, you know, being a pastor is more than just preaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's shepherding.
Yep. Well, I would, I mean, I would also add on to that, Chris, you, you know, talking about the protecting of the flock, but also the equipping of the flock too, right? Because you're going to equip them uh, f- for other false ideologies as well with the proclamation of the gospel and the teaching of scripture from the pulpit. So it's one thing that we need to inform them about the dangers of what's going on with the, these social issues uh, that are that are running rampant right now, but they also need to be equipped in how to deal with them. So, like, we, we don't just say we, we don't just teach the gospel. We have to teach them how to apply the gospel in those certain situations. Absolutely, we we've got to teach them discernment. We've got to teach them how the Word of God is the standard for how we think about all things. Um, you know, so I've been spent a lot of time talking about the issue of uh, partiality and how God forbids that. And that's the lens through which we understand and view, you know, what's going on in our world, that um, we cannot prejudge situations just because we think that we know what's going on. Right. But there is, there's just a, there's a lot of people I find, even in, you know, my own circles in my church, where, you know, the reason they're getting sucked into some of this stuff is because they have, if you will, good hearts that are concerned for neighbors, friends, they're sharing with them their stories, and they're sympathetic. Right. And, you know, they say, well, I've never had to, to have a talk with my teenage son about, you know, how to, uh, how they, you know, have to act towards the police because they're they fear their life being threatened. And so that's what, that kind of thing, uh, they don't realize that there are people out there that, that's, that, are, that are black that don't have, that's, that's not the way they necessarily think. Right, right. Uh, that they teach their children to respect authority in the same way that we would teach our children. And they've not had that kind of experience. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the other folks that share these things don't. I have good friends that share those things with me. And I, I think there's really a lot of good good-hearted effort, if you will, that people are getting sucked into this thing because they honestly believe that there is an ongoing uh, systemic uh, issue in our country that's targeting uh, our our black brothers and sisters um, that every day that they go out onto the street, their life is in danger. Uh, they honestly believe that. And so you have to deal with that with a, with a gentleness, Right. And taking to the word of God and correcting them. If you think in Second Timothy, where you know you correct your opponents with gentleness, that the Lord might grant them repentance. Right. Um, now, some people say, "Well, Tom, you don't you don't do that really on Twitter." Seems like you're not very gentle. But there's a difference between dealing with someone who's being blinded by this these things and people that are propagating and pushing this stuff Correct. that know better, or at least should know better. Yep. And so I have little tolerance and little patience for people in our convention, Southern Baptist convention I'm in, of pushing, especially from the higher ranks of uh, academia in the SBC, pushing this kind of stuff. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Drew, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to ask you what else you got. Well, no, uh, I mean, uh, Tom, what's, um, uh, if you had to give um, in, in encouragement to the, uh, 
to to the concerned believer um, around any of these issues, um, uh, as far as as far as pastorally, uh, what what would be what would be an encouragement from Scripture where you would how how would you shepherd someone with that? Um, and someone who may be concerned, whether it be the pandemic or uh, protest riots, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I think you know Colossians to me. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the word, rather than according to Christ. And so we look at the world today, and there's so much that's going on, even among evangelicalism, where it's, again, back to what Founders says, by what standard? What is the standard that we're using to assess and, and, and judge all of these things, make, mm-hmm. make assessments? The word of God has got to be doing that. So we can't allow critical race theory to come in. It'll take you captive. Yeah. It will imprison you. It's not a useful tool, as the SBC said. Mm-hmm. All we need is God's word. Amen. But this is being, they're being bombarded by people, and this is where the hard part is. There are people that I told my church to trust that now they can't trust. This is hard. Yeah. This is hard for pastors because I'll have some of my church members who will say, Tom, is there anybody we can trust anymore? Mm. And that is very sad for me because I don't want to, I want to be able to lock arm guy, lock arms with guys that I believe that we can trust and move forward. I don't want to be fighting battles all the time. That's not where I want to be. That's not where my heart is. But we're in the middle of something right now where the evangelical world is being taken captive. We've got to get back to where we believe the word of God is sufficient. So I was listening to um, an S. Well, he was an SBC pastor, but he withdrew from the SBC because he said it was racist. This is a couple of months ago that he did that. And I was listening to an interview about about him talking about coming out, leaving the SBC. And he argued that um, we cannot understand the Bible as well and completely without the sciences. And so he said, archaeology, the Bible would make little sense if it weren't for archaeology. Now, that's the most, I mean, this is so ridiculous. Because what you have to say is that for how many centuries were people unable to, unable to understand the Bible because you didn't have archaeology. I mean, and and other sciences. Mm -hmm. So his argument was, it was so he could then say, so why wouldn't we also understand uh, or believe, embrace that we could better understand the Bible with the use of social sciences? So, so critical race theory will help us that we, he said, you can better understand the Bible often with books outside the Bible. Well, this is not what we have always understood as Christians. We understand that Scripture interprets Scripture. That's right. We understand that, you know, I was, my son called me today. He was asking me about creationism. He's in college, and, and they were going over the views in class, uh, in an Old Testament survey class he was in. So, you know, I took time to explain to him that, you know, he was asking about the, you know, what about the age of the earth and all of those things, and Dad, are you a a six-day, uh, you know, creation guy, or you a gap theory guy, what are you? I said, I'm a Bible-believing, take it as it says it, uh, whatever the scripture says, 
then I use the lens of scripture to understand my world. Right. And as I look to the world, even science itself, I said, my son's name's Dallas. I said, Dallas, we don't take science and use it to understand scripture. Scripture becomes the foundation by which we understand what's going on in this world, even when it comes in relation to science. Um, and that's what we're called to do. I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted that we're at this point with people that call themselves inerrantist, say they believe in the sufficiency of scripture. But Colossians 2.8 needs to be a verse on every pastor's mind, on every Christian's mind, that Christ has got to be the center of everything. Christ and his word has got to be the standard by which I judge everything. That's right. And that worldly philosophy will take you captive, which means that it's going to, you know, it's going to just like someone who would capture you, it's going to sneak up on you. It's going to take you in. It's going to hold you prisoner and it's going to keep you from what you really need to be able to face this world and interpret your world and live in it, which is Christ himself. So that's one of the things I really would push that we've got to get rid of all of this philosophy, all this empty deception, all of this tradition of men, and believe that scripture alone is all that we need. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. In fact, I would say the modern day Pharisees, they say it's us. Yeah. The modern day Pharisees are those who bring critical race theory in because they are exchanging the, the commands of God yeah. for yeah. the traditions of men. It's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Because that's the core of what Phariseeism is. Right. So they come in and they say, well, rather than allow God's word to not show partiality to the rich or the poor, we're going to allow critical race theory and these other things, the traditions of men, to guide our thinking in this. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's because <clears throat> you're right. We're typically the ones that get called the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what did the Pharisees do? They were constantly pulling people's gaze away from the word of God. And it was Jesus that was constantly pulling it back to the word of God and saying, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? For it is written, for it is written, constantly going to the scriptures as the foundation. Absolutely. And they always were taking their framework and forcing it on the scripture, right. yep. which exactly what social justice does. Yep. I mean, when you have when you have Eric Mason preach a sermon from Exodus, oh. and what he can get out of that is that the ten plagues are pro, a form of protest, oh my gosh, and yeah. that what what they received as they left was reparations. That is classic framework being forced upon the text. That's exactly what the Pharisees yeah. did. Yeah. They took their own traditions, what they wanted to force upon people, and they found a way to take it and plant it upon the Word of God and twist the meaning of the Word of God to fit their own traditions. Yeah, and, and when we hear things like that, especially on the topic of, of reparations, the focus is not God's grace through, through sending his son, Christ, to pay for our sins and our reconciliation with God. The focus is what can I get out of people? Right. Absolutely right. Now, they would turn around and say, it's what you owe. And so they go to, mm. um, you know, Zacchaeus and force it upon right. that as well. But, you know, what happened with Zacchaeus is he re repaid the people he him, he personally owed. Right. Correct. He didn't, you know, he didn't say I'm going to, and my children and my grandchildren are going to be paying right. this back to right. these folks. He, he didn't say I'm going to repay everything I took. 
And I'm also going to find out what my daddy and my granddaddy took, and I'm going to repay that. It was, we always see it's personal sin that's being, that's being dealt with there. Right. Um, Hmm. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, Drew, you got any closing thoughts? Uh, no, actually. And in fact, if our listeners are wondering why I'm so quiet, it's because I've been taking mental notes of everything yes. that Dr. Buck has been saying. Um, so I'm just sitting here keeping my mouth shut and listening. <laughs> so, yes, sir. Taking it all in. Uh, yeah. Well, the mental notes might be, we're going to have to edit this and edit that. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, and, uh, and, and, and can I just say, Dr. Buck, thank you, uh, number one, for your time. Uh, I, know, I know you have a lot going on uh, right now. And um, uh, for, for those of our listeners who uh, do desire um, to be overseers, expositors, um, uh, something you need to check out is the G3 Expository Workshops. Uh, I had the privilege of doing this this January with Dr. Buck, uh, Dr. Vody Bauckham. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Thomas was there as well. Uh, am I missing anybody, Tom, that was there? No, those uh, Derek Thomas, but yes, Derek those Thomas. were the guys that were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Derek Thomas, sorry. Um, so if, if your desire is to exposit the word, you need to make your way to one of these workshops. Um, yeah, we just had 50 guys at a workshop in Arkansas doing Titus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what we need in the pulpits. We need yes, men yeah. who are yes. expounding the word of God and preaching yes. the word of God and uh, being faithful to that. And we've got to equip our people how to handle the word. And if we're not, if we're not equipping them in how to handle the word personally, they are going to be susceptible to anything that comes along because they have no ability to know how, how to rightly read God's word. If my people would never be able, would never, I just preached through Exodus. So my people would not be able to uh, look at what he, what Eric Mason preached on Exodus and embrace that because they know that's not a uh, the right way to handle that passage. So we need to teach our people how to study the Bible by the way we preach the Bible. That's right. mm. Yeah, I was going to attend that workshop, but I had two reasons. One, my master's degree is in biblical exposition. And two, my son was born that week. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to say the second day of the workshop. Yeah, the like the second day of the workshop. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, that that would have been difficult uh, if you'd yeah. have been there to have to get away. Yeah. Well, so let me I tell wish you, you could have been. Let me tell you the story. So Chris texts me and he goes, "Hey man, I'm heading down to the to the expository workshop. I just talked to uh, Doctor Buck. He said there's an extra spot. Do you want me to put your name in?" And I said, man, that would be great, except my wife just went into labor. Uh, so uh, I can't. Well, sorry we missed you, but maybe you can catch another one sometime. Yeah, yes, yeah, that you would need be great. To. You absolutely yeah. need to. So uh, not only do you get guys like Dr. Buck, Dr. Bauckham, uh, Dr. Josh Spice, uh, um, I, I know you guys were scheduled before COVID with uh, Mike Riccardi in California. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, if you get a chance to sit under these men uh, and listen to uh, the, the teaching how to properly exposit the word, but then the small group times, the small group times yep. where you work through. So what happens is, is you get sent your texts 
that 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 you exposit beforehand. Man, are you giving uh, you, away stuff? Are you giving away? No, no, that's perfect. No, okay. yeah, like <laughs> good. so. So you, uh, um, it, they send you, you know, that your assigned text where you exposit. You bring your work with you, the work, uh, how you exposited that, the conclusions that you came to, and then over the the time of the workshop, whether it's one day or two days, um, you go through that uh, in a small group of men. Uh, that, that is being led by someone who is a trained expositor um, and the feedback that you get from the brothers that you're that you're sitting there with invaluable absolutely invaluable uh, I, I refer back to those notes often uh, even for doing the podcast so uh, go ahead yeah it's Tom. the the small groups of secret sauce of, of yep. the workshop yes because you go to a conference you hear good expositional preaching you walk away two things sometimes. Uh, you always walk away encouraged by what you've heard, you've been fed. But sometimes you walk away discouraged that I can't do that. And right. it's like, how do you get that sermon? You know, put that sermon together. And what we're doing in the workshop is you're coming and we're learning together how to rightly handle God's word. Mm -hmm. So you're walking away, uh, not just listening, but you're participating yes. and you're learning how to become an expositor yourself. Because what we want to do in these workshops is we want to, first of all, we want to convince you that this is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. That expository preaching is the means by which to handle God's word in the pulpit. Amen. Then yes, we sir. want to uh, equip you and equip you to be able to do that in small groups and lectures. And then we want to encourage you that uh, as you go back to make progress and that this can, can be done. So that's really my goals when I do these workshops. Yep. Yeah, well, it, uh, it it was phenomenal, and I know that those those men who were there in Arizona with you and Josh, uh, I know all of them felt that way as well. So, yeah. uh, and yep. and if I could encourage the men out there, even if you don't feel called to to a pastorate, take the workshop so you can exposit it to your wife and teach right. and, and teach yeah. family That's devotion. Right. Because I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with my wife and we open scripture. And I go through the first verse, right? Paul. And I go 15 minutes on who Paul is, just right. talking to my wife, a bond servant. And then I go another 15 minutes. And then she goes, I never knew there was so much in those three words. Yeah, you got you to gotta open the text up so that people understand what's going on, because then it lays the foundation for the rest of the book. Right. Yeah. One of my biggest takeaways that I still, when I read second Timothy is how much eschatology is riddled throughout the book of second Timothy yeah. that I did not see before. So, yeah. so, so that means stuff. you're, that means you're post mill now. No, <laughs> Tom, this is a constant, <laughs> constant back and forth. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Well, Tom, well, I see, I see the Bible knowledge commentary behind him. I, yeah. and most people don't recognize that. So oh, you know. that'll, that'll, <laughs> That's a that's a DTS uh, pre uh, premillennial dispensational oh, book right there. Man. You know what? Am I good at Am I good at spotting stuff or what? Yes, sir. That's yeah. Awesome. Okay. So 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 I'm gonna qualify that. I, <laughs> and I, you know, I almost the qualification is almost as worse as the fact is just having the book. Yes, so yes. I went to wait for it. Wait for it. I went to Liberty. <laughs> Okay. And that was our textbook for uh for Old Testament. So that was that, your textbook uh, for Old Testament? Yeah. Going That's through that, that commentary. Well, I mean, I have the commentary too. I went to DTS, so 
but it was in our textbook for Old Testament. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, so we had that. Well, we got it when we first went through Old Testament. And then, you know, I'm surprised you're not, you may not know those books right there because that's Elmer Towns and Ed Henson. So, uh, well, I those, had it covered up with something. Just okay, as, now I see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're exactly so, right. Uh, but sorry about calling you out on that. But. That's okay. Oh, that's no, that's okay. good. That's good. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know what? Chris is always looking for ways to slap me in the face. So, uh, all he had to do is bring you on to do it for him. That's what good brothers do, man. That's what good brothers do. Uh, well, Dr. But, but, but oh, I sorry, this, I have this section too. So, that's all my Puritan section. There you go. So, I saw that as well, but it wasn't nearly as fun to point out. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I have some stuff that that you could rag me on for days, <laughs> for days. They're just they're just over there. They're out of sight. They're way out of sight. Right. Yeah. So. I'm sure I've got Henry Blackaby somewhere. So there you go. So, but all right, we are thankful that Dr. Tom Buck could join us uh, for this episode of Matter of Theology. We hope that it has been a blessing to you. We hope that it has been encouraging to you. Um, so, pastors, pastors, please, please take this seriously. Mm. Don't shy away. Don't tuck tail and cower to the government or, or anything like that. Be a man, pastor your flock as God has commanded you because you are the one that God has raised up to be over these people and you will be held accountable for them so with that we're gonna head out of here we will catch you yes yes thank you sir um we will catch you guys on the next one